Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And I'm Tim Cronin. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last time on deposition strategies. I actually, uh, last night, tried to think about why we might take depositions and uh, brainstormed a number of things. Uh, if I could just mention about 10 of them and, and just throw them out on the Shoot. table, yeah. gather facts, you know, find out what happened and then to nail down someone's position and box them in, make sure they don't go wandering all over a trial. But I think sometimes when you throw out a uh, broad question, it's really good. You know, just ask them a basic question, let them talk. So receiving unrehearsed responses to wide open questions, explore the other party's theory of the case. You can sometimes gather that from talking to the witnesses. Assess the deponent's credibility and effectiveness at, as a witness. You know, what, what are we going to deal with at trial? I want to see what they look like. Get other information to use in cross-examination or impeachment. Prepare to defend a summary judgment. You know, sometimes I want to make sure I have the goods because I think that motion for summary judgment is around the corner and I want to try to, you know, prepare for that. Display on your, on, you know, display your own capabilities as a trial attorney. Uh, show the other attorney that there's a risk to trying this case because I know what I'm doing and I'm showing that I know how to take a deposition and ask good questions, good, clear questions. Certain cases, when they come in this office, we make a decision that's on our trial list. They're ones that we go out of our way to try. We're really not interested in settling the case. We just think that it's a good case. It's a good venue. We want to try that case. I approach the depositions in cases that I know I'm going to try completely differently from cases that I think have a high percentage of settling for whatever reason. Maybe there's caps or there's limits or whatever it is. The ones that are going to settle or have a high chance of settling. I may want to lay it on them. Yeah, lay it on them. And you want to put your case out there. And as you said, show them your cards, so to speak. The ones that we're trying, you hold the cards closer to the vest. I do not show them the most significant things that we have in our case. I want to know what they have to say and what we're going to confront when we go to trial. But you got to have that question answered. Why am I taking this deposition? Number one goal, try to make my client look good and the other party look bad as an overarching goal. (laughs) But before you start making an outline, reviewing materials, digging up dirt on the witness, sit for a while and think about what it is you want or need from that deponent to improve your case. Just sit and think with a notepad in front of you about what you want to get and make a short list of bullet points because that'll help you with your prep then later. There is no substitute for thinking, right? When I prepare deposition outlines, what I do all the time is I have the first page of, and I type them, I, I have them, I'll dictate them and get them typed. But the first page or two, I put in a summary format, all of the key evidence in the case, the witnesses, what somebody said. But more importantly, before I even start the deposition, I will have a page And it will contain exactly what you just said, Tim, and that is, what are the four things that I need to establish in this case? And that's what it is. I'll I'll list here are four things that I need to establish. And what that does is it lets me listen without thinking about the next question, okay? It kind of frees you from your outline. If you know what the three main things are you're trying to prove in the case, all you need to do is listen. It goes without saying before you sit down with your notepad and you think about these things, you need to know your case inside and out. If you're taking a deposition 
and you're looking at your outline to see what the people's names are, if you're trying to learn the facts of the case in your deposition, you need to go do something else that day. It's just a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Yeah, your goal shouldn't be to make sure you ask every question you have written on your outline. Your goal should be check off these three main things I have on my front page I wanted to establish. And if you don't ask exactly the questions in your depot, who cares? Or in your outline, who cares? Right, right. A lot of times, too, it's all about listen, listen, and listen. You don't know where that witness is going to take you. I find that I like to lower the cognitive load in a deposition by having a cheat sheet in front of me. You know, the, the, the counts and the elements, the key dates, the names of the party, the name of the case even. Because I don't want that in, in my head like, oh, what date was that? I don't want to be bothered with all that. I want to be able to play in the deposition, like to explore. And if ever your mind goes blank, which occasionally it does, and you're, you're thinking, okay, what was the name of that other witness? And uh, then there it is. You got the key, all the key stuff. So I have like a little cheat sheet there. So I can go, okay, that's always there. If I forget it, I can just go over there. John, don't you say you carry a card around yeah, with themes I, of your case? I do. A, I'll use post-its in a deposition. I don't I don't take notes a lot in depositions. I, I got a pretty detailed outline, and I just sit there, and I'll move along in the outline or jump around in it or whatever. I've taken depots where I've never even turned the first page of the outline, and it's a two- or three-hour deposition. But what I will do is when the witness tells me something I didn't know or brings up something that is interesting I want to follow up with, Instead of jumping into it and running down that hole at that point, I'll just get a little post-it and put that on there. So I might have a dozen or two dozen post-its. We'll take a little break. I'll sort them out and, and go into them a little bit more. But you got to think. You got to be able to listen and see where they're going. Taking a deposition, there's so many different levels of proficiency in doing it. You need to know your file. You need to know what the law is. You need to know what you're trying to prove in the case, basically. But it's also reading the witness. I think it's hard to put into words, but when somebody's being dishonest, I think we're all equipped with abilities to sense that. You know when somebody's being straight with you, when they're being honest, and you know when they're not, and you know when somebody's on the ropes. Watch their body language, yeah. their tone of voice, if they start looking right. uncomfortable. It's the same thing when we're getting our experts deposed or our clients deposed. You know, if something's terrible for your case and it's just blowing up in your face, don't start scribbling stuff down no. your notepad. <laughs> Sit back you know, like you're unconcerned. You know, take, get your phone out and start answering some emails, yeah. okay? What you're doing is you got a loudspeaker and you're going, okay, I'm getting screwed here. <laughs> you're telling the other side you hit pay dirt. So I, I love that. You know, you'll see in most of the depositions I take, there's more than one lawyer on the other side. It'll be somebody taking it and somebody tagging along, whatever. Maybe the more experienced lawyer won't be writing much down, but they'll be furious writing and scribbling. And you're like, well, wow. Okay. Your story reminds me of a, a technique. I've sometimes joked with another attorney that John Campbell used to work with me, called it something like, you know, what's your favorite color technique? The issue is a witness will occasionally give you something really good. The answer is just the way you want it. And you don't want them thinking about it now. So you follow up with something something else. And I just, I joke, it was like, okay, now next question, what's your favorite color? Or, you know, just get them away from that topic, get them away from that thing. So they don't go, you know, the way I said that thing, maybe I should rephrase that and soften it and make it less useful to you. Yeah. You know what? It's all stuff, hundreds of different little things that you're only going to learn it and know it by experiencing it. But I would just say to be prepared and be awake, be prepared, be awake and know what you're there for. You know, what's the old saying? There's no such thing as a good wind if you don't know where you're sailing to. Okay, so you got a witness in the case. You need to depose. You need to depose experts, the defendant, the corporate rep. Tim and Eric, when do you depose them? Is it important when you take the deposition of a particular witness in the case? I think it's very, very important. 
And you need to consider, is it somebody that I need to make sure I have every document that I could possibly need with this witness beforehand? Or is it someone that you think, I think they're going to say something that's going to turn out once I do get various documents to be provably false? So yeah, I think it's, it's important and it depends on what type of witness it is. In a lot of product liability cases, there are suppliers, there are component part manufacturers, distributors. So early on, you really need to take some depositions to identify other potential parties in the case, other, other yeah. defendants. The example on the other extreme are cases where I've had the same case against the same defendant and this is the fourth time. I know what they have, I know the documents or type of case. Maybe it's not the same defendant, you know, the multi-piece wheel cases you and I have handled in the past. We know what the defenses are. We've handled probably 20, 25 of those cases over the years. I have. What I like to do, especially if it's a defendant or even an attorney, maybe who hasn't handled a lot of them, is right out of the chute, get their corporate rep depot, take a corporate rep. And what you can do is you can really pin them down and undermine defenses before they even recognize that they have them. So the last one we handled together, you took that corporate rep very early in the case, and it was an inexperienced attorney who had never handled a multi-piece wheel case. And you, I mean, knew everything about him. We have all the government investigative files, thousands and thousands of pages and hundreds of people who'd had their heads blown off from it. We knew everything. And you went in and it like the second the depot started, you eliminated with their corporate rep every single defense that we know they have in all those cases and they didn't know they had that yet. they tried to and raise. They were yeah. Gone. yeah. We left that deposition thinking it was great. And I think the other attorney, it just, it didn't hit him until didn't like know. a year later during the expert deposition state. What about those situations where we were talking earlier about somebody waiting to take your client's deposition? A lot of times you'll want to take a deposition of somebody early in the case and the other side's response, which is usually the defendant in our office, will say, well, we want to take the plaintiff first. I have that fight all the time. And a lot of times I just don't want to exhaust the effort to fight about it. But I mean, every state and federal court has explicit rules that say they do not get to dictate the order in which they want to take discovery cannot stop us. Sometimes they'll say, okay, I'm not ready to take the plaintiff. You can take my client. But usually... Yeah, they insist, I need all the records first, and I'm not taking your client, and I'm not producing mine, and you can't do any discovery. It's like that's, that's the exact opposite of what the rules are. Yeah, and especially, are. you know, if it's a situation where it's it's a product claim or something that the vast majority of information from that. In the, right, is from the defendant, from the discovery process, and it's not like your client's going to add a whole lot to that. A medical malpractice case, something happens during a surgery or it's an anesthesia case. I mean, fighting over whether your client needs to be deposed first or not seems kind of silly. What they need to know are the injuries, especially in med mal cases where not only did they create the injury, they've documented it in their own records what the nature and extent of it is. Right. I mean, it's med mal specifically where they're most insistent that there is some unwritten rule that they get to take the plaintiff first. And I've thought about it. Judges don't, in my experience, really want to get in the middle of that fight. And they're just like, oh, my God, guys, can't you work it out? So usually what I do is I say, look, you want to take the plaintiff first that's fine. We brought the lawsuit. You can do that, but I'm having a date for your client within a week of that already set and noticed before my client's sitting down. I did defense work for a few years early on in my career in personal injury cases. And I think there's some advantage to waiting a little bit with the plaintiff's deposition because especially if they're still treating, a lot of times when it's a serious injury and their deposition is taken very early on, you really don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be of those injuries 
until a year, year and a half has passed. And the more you don't time get to take the plaintiff's right. depot again, right. and here we are representing them, and we know all of it, and we can still put it on a trial. Yeah. And sometimes I have, you know, in an auto case or a trucking case, I find it can be advantageous to go take some of the independent witnesses before your client testifies or the other ones. And if they're saying stuff that's good for you, let the other lawyer try to go after your client. When your client's saying the same thing, three other independent witnesses say. If you have the multiple independent witnesses, I like to get them in all at the same time because I, I don't want people adjusting their testimony right. like I like do to it a week them on later. The same day. And they, they talk to each other and try to figure out how to you know correlate their stories. So another issue, do you want to record, videotape the deposition or not? First, I'll tell you what my thoughts are on this. I, I usually, if it's a witness that's not subject to the subpoena power of the court that we're in, for instance, if the case is going to get tried in Missouri and I have witnesses outside the state of Missouri, they can't be subpoenaed, can't be compelled to come to trial. Like a corporate rep. Corporate rep. I will take their depositions. Every one of them, almost without exception, will be videotaped. If, on the other hand, it's somebody local who not only can be subpoenaed, but likely I will subpoena, that's the only circumstance where I might not videotape the deposition. But I do it anyway in most cases. I just think there's something about a witness on camera, and they know it's being videotaped, I think you get a little bit different response sometimes. They're a little bit more, I don't want to say respectful, but they're a little bit more careful, responsive, and they and answer the questions. Combative. Less combative, right? It's on video. I've known of cases, and I've, I've known situations where the courts have actually compelled there to be a videotape of a deposition because of the conduct of either the witness or, and on a couple occasions, the attorney. I mean, the attorney was being so obnoxious in the deposition right, yeah. that the court ordered that the attorney be videotaped. Oh, the attorney had a camera on the attorney? Yes, yes. Oh, and not so, just a voice. Yeah. Can you imagine sitting through that? <laughs> having somebody on the other side be such a pain in the ass that the court's got to order that the attorney be videotaped. Be videotaped. Yeah. It's so good to have a videotape going when the witness is going to struggle with some questions. The transcript doesn't show the 30-second pause where they can't answer the question. Right, that too, right. You're, you're <laughs> watching. Yeah, well, that's what I was trying to articulate, Eric. There was a, a case in particular I was just telling somebody about. It. This was a few years back. I just wanted to try this, and, and it was an expert witness in a medical malpractice case. I was going through rules, trying to establish some rules with this physician, and she wouldn't agree with me on anything. She wouldn't agree with me on anything. No matter what it was, she didn't understand it. It was too vague. It was overly broad. I just took one of those this week. Right. And so I said, well, doctor, do you agree with this? And I took language from the Hippocratic Oath. And I said, do you agree with that? And she said, no, it's too vague and I don't understand it and it's broad. And, and I said, well, let me read it to you again. I read it again. And I said, so you're saying what, what's wrong with that? Is there what part don't you understand? I, it's too broad. And, and the attorney was objecting. And all I did, it was the beginning of the deposition. And I said, doctor, do y'all take an oath before you start practicing? When you become a doctor, do you take an oath? And you could see her face, she which wouldn't it. have showed up on the transcript, that she realized what I was asking her. My next question was simply, what is it called? And that was it. And then we finished the rest of the deposition and she was a little bit more responsive the rest of the way. But what a terrible way to start. If you're an expert in a case, what a terrible way on video to start your deposition. I mean, this all happened in the first 10, 10 minutes of the deposition. So I think in that circumstance, that's one of the reasons why I like having video. You can choose not to use it if you don't want to. But, and the other thing too, the misery and pain of reading a deposition at trial. I don't think you want to put anybody <laughs> through that. I mean, if there's any chance you're going to use that testimony at trial, you're probably better off videotaping it. John, as you know, I handle some consumer cases and I've, I've had executives with payday lenders on video and I ask them to read these contracts or paragraphs out of the contracts that they say, oh, they're very simple. Consumers should understand it. It's easy to read and all that. 
how about you read paragraph three? Well, it's, it's a sentence that it goes for 400 words. It's an eight point type. They skip words, they skip lines. And it's, it's obvious that it's a very difficult document to read. And then you can dig in and you can say, what does this word mean? Because they, they tell you it's a very simple contract. The consumer should understand it. Simple language. What does that word mean? And they don't know the words in their own contracts. And in fact, in one case, we had a, uh, an executive with a payday lend lending company. And their position was arbitration is easy. It's fair. It's wonderful. Everyone should do it. What does arbitration mean? You know, questions like that. And the answer, believe it or not, and this is in a big class action, the president of the corporation said, arbitration is when you have a third party sit in and try to help the parties negotiate a settlement. So he, he described mediation, not arbitration. So they don't know basic words out of their own contracts. And I've used this over and over. I've had uh, a number of, uh, during COVID, I've had uh, Zoom depositions. And so we got the video automatically there. It's just, it's just sitting there. And uh, these are for arbitrations because they're compelled by arbitration. And you can see them struggling. So video is a wonderful tool for corporate entities who, who are antagonizing consumers with their crazy language, you know, difficult to read contracts. So I've, I've used that and enjoyed doing that. It's kind of like the old Kodak moment. You need to catch it on film. If it's just cold paper and print, you're not going to catch that. So let me ask you guys about this. I don't know if this is a thing anymore now. It used to be an issue. I don't know that it is anymore. Should we take the deposition remotely? And I remember getting in discussions with lawyers, a lot of them outside the office, but some inside the office, no, this is an important witness and we need to be there in person and we need to be sitting next to the person. And I will tell everybody here, we have had for the last 15 years, probably maybe longer, every one of our conference rooms, even before this COVID stuff, were equipped and are equipped with video conferencing abilities. And I take 90% plus of all of my depositions, almost all of them that are out of town. I've been doing remote depositions for the last 20 years on a regular basis. I find no downside and I, I just don't. Yeah, as long as you're able to effectively use documents remotely, then I mean, since I started out of town experts, I have almost always taken remotely. I don't find it harms the effectiveness of the depot and it saves the client costs. I mean, we're on the plaintiff side. The defense side wants to travel in person to every depot because they bill the heck out of the file for it. So it's a different consideration depending on which side you're on, I think. But from an effectiveness standpoint, I don't really find it to be a problem. But if I'm remote and the other lawyer is in person, I insist that they have a separate laptop up so I can see them. Because you have no idea what interactions are happening in that room. And you can even like widen the screen a little bit too. Yeah. And that's what I do. I'll just widen the screen so I can see the whole room. I have my iPad up to take the depot and I have my desktop in front of me and I log in separately so I can still be listening and watching through my iPad and then doing things on my, my desktop separately. And I think one benefit from doing things remote, if you're in person, you're limited by the documents you brought with you. But sometimes when you're taking a witness's depot, they bring something up and you have your whole file at your disposal electronically right. and you can go into your file and you can pull stuff up that you wouldn't have had in person and go, well, hold on a second. Take a look at this. Right. Or depots, depots yeah. and pages. What I do, I'm not that advanced with the technical stuff and don't want to be, but I will do it just like I do in court. I'll have the court reporter present and then usually the videographer will be the person handling the exhibits and I give it to them all in advance with all of the exhibits marked 
they don't have hard copies. It's just on a screen. And that way, the witness who's remote, we can pull it up on a screen so they can see it also or their screen. It's so much easier. In the old days, I would give exhibits to the court reporter. I didn't want to send exhibits to the other side, and I just give them to the court reporter, the physical copies. Sometimes I want them to see the yeah. exhibits well, before. Some, some, it depends. <laughs> right, it depends. I, I get you. It depends. So what I would do, we've got a case with 20,000 pages of documents, and I'm going to use 15 of them at this deposition with a particular witness. The last thing I want to do is give that set to the other side so they could spend a full day or two days going prepping over them, exactly. prepping on it. So what I used to do is I used to give the hard copies to the court reporter, and sometimes I didn't use them at all. But I would say to the court reporter, he or she would have yeah, two copies. Don't give them to them. Don't give them to them. And, and then I would say exhibit number 14, and they would then hand it to them, and they'd be seeing it for the first time. So that worked out fine. And now it's even better with everything online. We have a case now. It's an automotive product case with 80. So far, we've got 86,000 pages of documents from one of the defendants, and we've got 25 depositions and we've got transcripts of witnesses from other cases. And it's so nice to say exhibit 114-6, page 37, and boom, it's up on the screen. And could you imagine trying to have all of that information available to you in an in-person? It's impossible. You have, you have to drive a truck with a trailer with the stuff on it. I've taken depots where I've literally brought like three banker's boxes of stuff with me. You don't have to do that anymore. You just have to have on your outline what page you need. And for the little bit younger generation, John, we can just pull them up. We don't yeah. have to well, send no, them to the court report. Well, you know what? It's one of those things. I, the yeah. less I have on my mind, the better. I want to I want to be yeah. thinking about what the witness is saying. There's also word search. If you have all your files electronic yeah, that's true. and you're thinking, they said something, wait a minute, there's a document with that thing in it. You can word search it in those banker boxes are terrible for that. You're flip, flip, flipping and wasting time. So I, I love having PDF exhibits pre-marked, ready to go. But also the other stuff, like John was saying, all that other stuff is there. And then you can word search it and dig it out much faster electronically. There are witnesses, I'm sure, where being present and them seeing your own body language might cause an adjustment to happen with how the witness is, you know, being more forthcoming and in answering your questions, but I don't find it's a big enough difference to stop doing the depots remotely. So we've been talking about the overall strategy for depositions generally, general considerations. All of these are, they're important points and one rule doesn't fit all situations. You really have to kind of think through it, but I think that the things that do fit and apply to every deposition is number one, be prepared. Be prepared Number two, have a plan going in. And third, know your goals. Yeah, know your goals. Know your goals. And obviously, the most important is, you know, listen. Don't have your head so full of stuff and trying to memorize the fact. Just listen, and you'll get more out of that deposition by just listening. It might sound a little simplistic, but it's a really, it's, it's one of the best things you can do. Prepare, know the file, read through the pleadings, all of that. You know what your goals are, okay? But you have to come up with a plan. And I think the, the most important thing is to figure out who is this witness, what are they going to say? And then that's where your thinking begins. What are they prepared to say? You have to anticipate what that witness is going to say. Then you spend the time saying, okay, if they say that, how do I attack that? How do I undermine that? How do I preclude that? How can I shift my focus in the case? Are they going to say something that they think is good to defend what my theory currently is in the case, and then I can take it and turn it on them and change my theory and basically get them to admit liability? Right. Don't be one of those... Uh, checklist attorneys where this is my checklist and, and I'm going to stick with it no matter what. You really have to uh, be flexible. You got to think. That's what our job is. Our job is 
certainly you got to know the facts. You got to know what the law is, but we are hired to think. We're hired to solve problems and analyze things. And that's really what it's all about. So we've been talking about kind of deposition strategy, general considerations for depositions. Hopefully we've covered it pretty thoroughly. We're about to move into how to prepare for a depot and considerations about that. So this kind of wraps this topic and we'll move on to the next in the next session. All right. So thanks for joining us for this episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Feith. I'm John Simon. Thanks for joining us. We'll uh, see you on the next one. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And if you want a lively look at life and law from a female attorney's point of view, check out our Heels in the Courtroom podcast. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.